0: episode of Beckett's gets babies we're your hosts sarah cho
1: and sam collier and today we're going to be talking about non-human characters all those characters in a play that might not be people but actually be animals or monsters or angels or vampires um and anything else you can think of
0: speaking of <laughs> dogs
1: yeah exactly speaking of dogs You might hear my dog in the background. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But yes. Mm -hmm. So Sarah, what do you think about plays that have non-human characters?
0: Honestly, didn't really think much about it until you posed this question (laughs) or this topic (laughs) for today's episode. Um, And it really got me thinking all day, like of all why they are even written, like where, how do they exist and why? I don't don't know. And I mean, I just immediately just think of like Pixar, all Pixar movies, Toy Story, Bugs Life, um, animation, kids, uh, stories and books, illustrations. So I, I had to like think really back in terms of plays well, you know it's so thinking. funny
1: because when I first started thinking about doing a show on this topic, I was one of the first plays I thought of was your play about the Mister Rogers um, oh, puppets. The puppets.
0: Yeah, and that was like the one time I think I think they were all. That's the only time I wrote non-human characters. Yeah, and you
1: also you have a cockroach, a cockroach, right? cricket. Yeah,
0: no, no, it was a cockroach. Let's um, talk character. character. Very slimy and gross and kind of a sleazeball. And and yeah, and then and <laughs> the concept of this play were the puppets that we have not seen on the show. These are the puppets that have never seen the light of day, but they know this Mr. Rogers guy exists and they're just waiting for the day for him to arrive so they could be on the show or be part of the world of Mr. Rogers. Yeah, yeah.
1: And was that play at least partly inspired by Waiting for
0: Gano? Gano uh-huh. Yeah, in some <laughs> sense, yes, yeah. Cool. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess it was like my take on it, mashing up with the Mr. Rogers world <laughs> that I grew up with. Um, but yeah. And I don't
1: think there are any human characters in the no, play. No, zero. So when you were writing it, were you – what made you think about writing a play where there's no humans?
0: I, it's so funny because I, it was weird. It was, I feel like I was simplifying human emotions, like each character, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, like kind of like that Pixar or the Disney movie. Um, uh what is it like they're all like inside a person's mind and all the different emotions and feelings? Oh, um, inside, inside out, off. yeah, yeah. And so, I was just kind of in that sense, I was like thinking of all these, like, all each having like a specific point of view that and they're just sticking to that point of view no matter what, there's no change to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, so. Trying to maneuver all those point of views in the most simplified way because I, I was literally because I was trying to get into the mind of a doll or a puppet. I'm like, what what could they possibly think other than what they're made out of? I don't know. Yeah, but it was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's weird to to inject human emotions or ideas onto these little puppets and cockroaches. Mm-hmm. Um, that was an experiment. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, it's so. So when I was thinking about this, I started to think about different kinds of non-human characters that people might write about, and a couple plays came to mind. Um, so Shakespeare, I think, does this all the time, and is a great example of someone who writes um, kind of human-esque characters like fairies and ghosts and spirits. Um, and but then he also has in Two Gentlemen of Verona he has a, a dog on stage. But I don't know if you'd call that a character necessarily because um, it's just a dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean it doesn't it doesn't speak, although I have seen a production where a human being right. was playing that character to great comedic effect.
0: Yeah, um, is it is it only a character when it speaks? And then, if it doesn't speak, what is it like a prop? Good it's question. Like not a prop, but just part of the setting, right? I don't
1: know. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know what makes a character a yeah. character. Um, and then, I but then I also thought about. Um, there's a play called "A Map of Virtue" by Aaron Courtney, where one of the key characters in the play is this bird statue, and. Um, there's this monologue that this character has about another character having a bird statue and, and how that has been important to him in his life. And the monologue ends with this character, this actor saying, I am the bird statue. And so you kind of come to realize, oh, um, that's who this person is playing, or that's what this person
0: is playing. Mm-hmm.
1: What other plays can you think of that use non-human characters? Um,
0: I'm thinking of all your plays, Sam. Oh gosh, <laughs> um, thing okay. with feathers.
1: Yeah, it's true. I have a lot of birds in that play.
0: J- there was a play where you had like 300 witches, <laughs> <laughs> and witches are like not really human. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's human esque, but they're they are these like supernatural beings, right? So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I for. The longest time, I just feel like a lot of your plays always incorporated these like non human characters. It's true. So, what's the inspiration there for you? Well, I think part
1: of it is I was one of those kids who really loved reading fantasy and sci fi Mm. books when I was growing up. And so they have continued to influence my kind of creative unconscious. Um, but also I'm really excited. I think a couple different reasons. One, I'm really excited to see a a full world on stage, not just the human world. And in my life, I'm really aware of and influenced by the non-human world. I mean, I spend a lot of time like in the woods watching animals and plants and um thinking about other perspectives besides the human perspective Mm. um so i think when i then represent stories on stage i'm really interested in showing stories that aren't completely human stories but that have other personalities and beings Um, but then also I'm really just generally interested in, um, what human beings can learn from seeing other kinds of beings on stage and how, and, and I guess I, you know, I love to see what happens when you put language in the mouth of an animal, um, Mm -hmm. and how, how we can kind of imagine our way into the mind of an animal or a witch or a, a ghost. And I don't necessarily think that a, a witch is not a human. I don't know. I guess I'm, I feel very, I feel of two minds
0: about it. <laughs> As you were explaining um i it i was like thinking like if i took an object like a lamp i'm in my mm-hmm. mind me like goes okay what what is the 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 strengths of this lamp and what are it, its weaknesses of this, like as a lamp not <laughs> uh-huh. not I'm yeah. not like not as like lamp turned human but like as this mm-hmm. lamp and i'm like okay well it provides light it it actually but it's like it needs some kind of energy or like it's, it needs electricity. If it's an electric lamp, how does it get electricity? Mm -hmm. How can it function? Like, I, I just started thinking in my my brain of like, what would this lamp say? (laughs) Like, is it like, yeah. in in, 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 in it's like most basic sense of like what a lamp is, but it might, it, it, it started, I started to generate like thoughts about, the meaning of this lamp <laughs> like what is this mm-hmm. why does this lamp and if it could talk what would it uh-huh. say and I think that's such a fun uh imaginative creative way to write very meditative I'll say <laughs> yeah um
1: this is reminding me of one of when I was in high school um I was really kind of obsessed with this writer Stephen Milhauser, and he has a book called I think it's called Enchanted mm-hmm. Night Um, follows a number of different characters and one of the characters is a mannequin (laughs) in in a store window like in the middle of the night he's imagining what this mannequin is thinking Mm -hmm. about and desiring and um I just remember being really taken with that idea Mm
0: -hmm. so why do you think some players want to bring these non-human characters to life like what what's The draw, and I think we kind of touched on this, but I think it. I think when you bring non-human characters to life, I think one of the things I Mm -hmm. I I kind of noticed is like how self-aware sometimes they could be, and like call things out in the Mm -hmm. scene that sometimes it kind of adds clarity, but in the kind of fun, weird way um yeah i I think it's a good device i, I don't know if it, it maybe if it's a supporting character it can maneuver that way always calling things out to kind of point out the significance of what is happening mm-hmm. to the audience sort of lighting shedding some light and guiding the audience to think maybe the bigger ideas that's happening in the play um mm-hmm. and in this story
1: well that's making me think of um we were talking about mad forest by carol churchill which has that scene between the vampire and the dog and i think it's just one scene um like in the middle of this play that's about a totally different set of characters but that scene adds something to our understanding of the characters and the world that we've been mm-hmm. watching um, kind of like a counterpoint. So, yeah, I think that's totally right. And I also think watching non-human characters teaches us something about what it means to be human in in a way.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, I <laughs> I just think about Toy Story automatically. Like, what it means to be a mm-hmm. friend to, you know, like, what does it mean <laughs> to, like, learn how to cope or learn how to be friends with the enemy or like your competitor of this boy's favorite new toy like it's like all this like so yeah. many I mean it's the scenario is like very relatable in that sense but from the feelings yeah. of a toy it it's just I'm just like oh man this- Poor Woody. Poor Woody. Like, oh. And I mean, he goes, all that jealousy that all, that those are really Mm -hmm. real human emotions. And then, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: And and I think Pixar has really hit on something, which is that sometimes it's easier for us as an audience to identify with or empathize Mm -hmm. with uh, some kind of inanimate object expressing emotion than it is with another human being. Like we can project so much more onto them because they're, (laughs) (laughs) because they're not human Mm -hmm.
0: friendly reminder to all our listeners mercury is in retrograde so (laughs) (laughs) things are happening um cool yeah
1: well so sarah do you think there's a place for non-human characters in a serious piece of literature or drama that's not a pixar movie yes and
0: yes and no maybe I don't know I think yeah I when you say serious right I'm always I'm immediately thinking of ghosts and creepy spirits Mm -hmm. um things that scares us because then I don't know anything else I'm just thinking oh it's a children's theater Mm (laughs) um yeah the things that haunt us um so like it's okay to have non human characters as long as it's scary. I think so. Something that's like coming back from the dead to haunt this character, or like some kind of a um, mm-hmm. what is it like regret and or something a deep dark secret that's coming at you. That's like the time I think about it. like oh, it could exist in a very serious adult drama, but I'm sure there's plays mm-hmm. out there that'll prove me wrong. Um, One play that
1: we were talking about. Was Kristen Idajak's play one of our former guests who has a play um, where there's a character that's a lake,
0: right? And but it, but tonally, right in that play, like it's everything just feels like it's this mm-hmm. mystery, and it's like this mm-hmm. looming darkness kind of kind of looms in the play. So that's what I got the sense of in terms of the tone of what this lake was, yeah, how it was existing in the world, um. Yeah. So that's how I'm like oh it could be serious, but yeah it's like if you think of a lake too, there's a lot of mystery. Like it's this body of water that kind of
1: mm-hmm. it's sometimes
0: it's quiet. Like there's some, a lot of quietness to it, and
1: but also we can attribute some kind of personality or consciousness, I think, to bodies of water because they're so changeable. Yeah.
0: But it's like okay, lake or a papasan you know what i mean like what you know <laughs> i'm saying like oh a papa song it's gonna mm-hmm. i think evoke a lot of kind of funniness i don't know comedy because yes. it's, it's a freaking yes. papa song what, what? <laughs> and the name papa song right. um mm-hmm.
1: or a lamp or mm-hmm. you know
0: if right
1: if it's like a household object it's hard to make it a character without yep. just mm-hmm. being kind of silly I'm just remembering one of the first, I think actually the first play I ever wrote, which was when I was in summer camp, um, when I was like, I don't know how old, maybe 13 or 14. Um, I wrote a play where the characters were articles of clothing in a (laughs) thrift store. And it was like a very kind of um, very serious. Melancholy play about these (laughs) pieces of clothing talking about their former owners, the people that had worn Mm. them. I'm pretty sure there was like some backstory about like a car Mm. crash, you know. It's like, um, that's deep. How old were you? I don't know. It was, I'm sure it was not very good. I think I was like 14. Oh. It was not at all active or, you know, like dramatic <laughs> for the things we want place to be. It was just like a bunch of
0: sad monologues. Putting, I don't know, there's something about it, when you take nature, like lake, uh, the landscape and things. I don't, there's just a lot of, yeah, I don't know. I think there's just a lot of mystery to it because there's like, this like wonders of nature in the world. Like, what is out there? It just mm-hmm. like, it just makes me feel those feelings and, um, mm-hmm yeah let's see oh so when i posed this question of like what are some examples of non-human characters on facebook and social media um i got a couple responses um there was a comment that said lisa langford's brilliant new play rastus and hattie has two robot servants spectacular this comment Oh, yeah, and robots mm-hmm. is a great idea that we haven't even yeah, talked about robots. Yet. Um, Yeah, robots. Yeah. I mean, robots exist a lot. In, I mean, when I think of robots, immediately sci-fi to me. Have you ever seen that Robin Williams movie, Bicentennial Man? No. It's, is it good? It's... Good, and I think I kind of remember. I mean, I watched it when I was in middle school, and I thought it was really good. But then maybe as an adult, I think it's really dumb. But I just feel mm-hmm. like the looking back at the movie is just this robot being taught to have human emotions and how to feel pain and things like as a human. And I just remember the movie taking to a place of just like, uh, this the the like our existence as a human being is to experience sexual pleasure <laughs> like that's where the movie Whoa. that's where the movie went like this robot falling in love that human experience of falling in love and like uh, and so I just like that I just remember thinking like this is really weird. It gone to a weird place. <laughs> yeah, but like
1: Well, especially if you were in middle school. yeah,
0: I'm like, I'm never gonna I don't ever want to talk to a robot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's where, uh, yeah, so like robots or what about aliens? Oh, aliens like space aliens mm-hmm. i think I
1: think I do have a play about a robot, actually. I'm remembering um our first year at Iowa for Bake Off I wrote this play about um a robot (laughs) falling in love with an alien Um, oh my god and they and they like the robot was sent to Mars and came back with like a an alien boyfriend like a Martian boyfriend
0: oh wow what do you think you're trying to say there
1: I think I'm pretty sure I was just trying to make people laugh and I was successful. So well done. (laughs) Um, No, I'm pretty sure I had some kind of commentary on marriage and weddings in general. No offense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Taken. Let's see. um, Another play I got a chance to, you know, quickly read. It was Tanuja, who's another former guest of ours. She wrote a pl- short play called mm-hmm. Bloom, and it has a talking hibiscus tree. It's so cool. Very cool. Um, I feel like these non-human characters sometimes call out certain feelings, or emotions, or what's happening in the scene, and I, and it kind of mm-hmm. did that. Um, until up at the very end, where the hibiscus tree, uh, is talking to the the main character's boyfriend like they and that because the, the boyfriend like comes in drunk and they're like having this like very like hostile interact but his boyfriends like yeah I could see you I could talk to you I know you were there mm-hmm. like it was like this weird like breaking, um this norm of like this hibiscus tree talking to, um the main character like the owner of the tree, um but one of the things it really opened up for me was like because the the stage directions wasn't very specific about how this hibiscus tree was going to exist or like how it's going to live in the world or like, I just thought about mm-hmm. all the possibility in design. Like I was like, Oh, maybe you could actually have a tree there and light on it. And I could like move and like, a yeah. Or, or like a costume, like a person that could get really like elaborately looking very like a tree. I don't know. It's like, I, it just opened up a lot of that for designers could get, really creative and have fun with these non-human characters. Yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm.
1: I love, you know, one thing you can do with non-human characters that I think is, could be explored so much more in theater is, is using puppets, mm. you know, mm-hmm. that I, I remember one summer I got to see some of the puppetry conference at the O'Neill. Um, Cause I was there for their kind of NTI summer program and the creativity and just like playfulness and joy that that the puppetry artists bring to their work mm. is so, it's so beautiful and astonishing and brilliant. And I think that we as playwrights or, you know, pe- practitioners of, you know, theater in general could really learn a lot from puppeteers because also, I mean, when you, when you're making a puppet or operating a puppet, you're investing this inanimate object with some kind of consciousness or human like emotion. And so I, I just think that lends itself really well to non-human characters.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm trying to think. I feel like I remember seeing like a puppetry show. I mean, even though the the people, the puppeteers, are like maneuvering all the puppets, like, but they themselves Mm -hmm. were they were really acting too. It was was like it was just Mm -hmm. like I just saw like this other layer of performance I've never seen. Like they're like having to put those emotions into these puppets. Hmm. Never thought about that. Yeah. Totally.
1: I saw this play, um, years ago called Famous Puppet Death Scenes and the, the conceit was, it was just, um, it, it was purporting to be scenes from plays with puppets in them, but really these were just like made up scenes and it was just scenes of puppets dying over and oh, over, and over, and over again. but different puppets from different mm. stories, you know, it was just like how the puppet died in this story, um. And yeah, just the creativity was amazing to see. I will
0: say this. I don't like ventriloquism. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. It's just, it's so creepy. And I just always, I'm always watching the the ventriloquist. I'm like, you're, I see your mouth. I see your mouth. I don't know how you're doing it, but I mm-hmm. see your mouth. It's kind of moving. <laughs> and I don't know how you're doing it, but this this is very witchy. <laughs> that's just my, that's how I'm just kind of like thinking, like judging this ventriloquist. Oh, I'm so mm-hmm. weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, any last minute thoughts before we move to? Well, we have a, we have a question from one of our listeners. Oh, we do. We do. Yes. But I'm just saying um, on the topic of of, of oh oh! Any? Um, uh, no, I think we. I think we it. covered it. So, listeners, if you're interested <laughs> in writing a non-human character, I think there is a market for it. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, or to have fun and be yeah. creative. I think there's a lot there. I think there's so much there. If you're, we believe, yeah. It. And if you're like stuck, you're if you're if you're like me, you're always stuck and you don't know how to, what to write. Um, just look at an object and stare at it intently and then you can start writing
1: until it starts to speak yes
0: to yes all right so we got some listeners questions uh, <laughs> i mean there were a lot but we just picked our top three favorites not because we know these people <laughs> just
1: kidding <laughs> okay here's a question okay. for you sarah this is from our listener nick Nick wants to know: Should I spend my money on live theater or Netflix,
0: and why? Great question, Nick. Um, wow, <laughs> way <laughs> to try to stump me on this. Um, I say, um, I say both. Both. Yeah, if you if you why? can if you can afford both, do both. Um, Netflix, got. S- it has a wide variety of shows. like there's just so much content. You don't need cable it's and mm-hmm. it's affordable. there's movies, there's TV shows they' have their own original shows. But here's the thing, right? You're like sitting there. And you're just constantly binge watching. You're not really, you end up really not paying attention anymore. And that's where life theater could come in and to help you Mm -hmm. reset and for your focus and really enjoy being in presence with other community because Netflix, you're just by yourself almost always versus life theater. You're kind of with people in the space and you don't be a weird introvert. Go. So how much is Netflix per month? I think it's, I I think it's like, Thirteen
1: dollars a month? Okay, so let's say you have thirteen dollars mm-hmm. for the month of December and you could either have Netflix that month or you could see a play for thirteen dollars. Let's just say there's a play out there that's thirteen dollars for a
0: ticket. Um what would you pick? You can only pick oh, one. Oh gosh. Um okay, Netflix. <laughs> 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 Because it's unlimited. It and it's 30 days in a show. month.
1: And there are. Okay, but what if it's like a really <laughs> amazing show that you have been dying to see and you can get a ticket for $13? Uh,
0: okay, if you put it. If you, if you frame there. it. <laughs> well, yeah. But if you frame it that way, because sometimes like um, I'm in these like lotteries for a theater show. Yeah. And then when I win it, I'm like, I really want to go see it. Cause I was like, oh it's a fraction of the cost of this ticket which is like exorbitant um yeah. and so yeah life theater only because mm-hmm. that's another thing too i just feel like life theater is such a an experience like a very it's a unique experience by of watching this play that probably i'm only gonna have once like because each performance is so uniquely on its own like this you're just one mm-hmm. unique experience of this play here's an opportunity to have this experience sometimes this, this experience could be really memorable and like linger on whereas netflix you forgot the last season of the show you're like what happened because there was you're just like <laughs> sitting there for hours and just kind of binging um i don't know i'd say okay for culture and experience and education and, and being around people, life theater. But if you're like me and you don't like people and <laughs> you want to just stay home and never leave Netflix. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's good we spent so much time on that question. I hope that helped you out. Nick. <laughs> uh, we got a second question from Nina. Uh, she asks, is it worth writing a play that isn't addressing a social problem or social issue?
1: Oh, good question, Nina. Um, well, here's my take on this. I actually think every time you write a play, you're expressing a worldview. And every time you see a play, you're, you're spending two hours or an hour and a half inside the worldview of that playwright, of that playwright's mind. And, so even if you don't sit down to address a social issue or problem, you're still presenting a vision of the world as it is, or as it could be. Um, and so I think the answer is yes, because I really believe that even if a play, even if all it's doing is making you laugh, there's there's power in that. You know, there's like, I think laughter can be really healing. and. Um, it doesn't have to be because you're laughing specifically at something that is wrong with the world that you're going to go out and change. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I do think there's a lot of value to work that addresses a social problem specifically. Mm -hmm. Of course I do. I mean, I think that, you know, that that's one of the reasons to be an artist. Mm -hmm. But I also think that just like Nourishing people's souls with stories in and of itself is a valuable and worthy thing to do. What do you think?
0: I love plays. That. (laughs) No, there's more, I promise. I love plays that it's one entertaining, but I'm like, it's not um like i'm not being spoon-fed the social issue problems and like really like being told what to like to do or something it's just like it's all Mm -hmm. it's very like in the craft is just sort of weaving it all in so by the time you're like when you digest it you're like whoa i just wow okay the world needs my help and the climate is rude like that's the climate change mm-hmm. I, I don't know i'm just like but it's big But i think when it's like so focused on a specific story or, or um there's just a lot there that these like universal things that just sort of come at you unbeknown, like mm-hmm. unknowingly like you're just like wow you just experience it and i think that's such a that's such a um says a lot to the talent of the writer. They're they're able to do that when they can weave all those themes, ideas, and the problems in a play without sort of like lecturing you. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying to think of a good like play. I don't know. I feel like every play has some core idea, point of view, or Something mm-hmm. there that's trying to address and for you to kind of take away and leave with and kind of think, see the world a little differently before you, yeah. Right. Yeah. I do too.
1: Because I think even if you sit down and you write a play that's like, that's not. So if you sit down and you decide to write a play that's not pointing out anything that's an issue in the world, then you're saying the world as it is. Is great and fine, <laughs> you know. So, like, you're still taking a position, mm. um, whether whether intentional or not. I, yeah, you, you're either endorsing the status quo or you're critiquing the status quo. But
0: I kind of bet you that if you actually sat down and sought out to like to write a play that doesn't address a social problem. You'll find that Mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to not like because there's always something there, right? Whether from human relationships, um, identity, culture, politics—it's just it's, I—it's just all in our human experience. Like it's there. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I challenge you. I challenge you. Go try and write it. Write that play. Okay, that's a good challenge, yeah. <laughs> Purposely not writing a play with social issue. Go. Go. Um. <laughs> I think that's a really good note to end
1: on. So let's move to glistens. Alrighty. Glistens. What's your glisten, Sarah?
0: <sighs> wow. Um, folks, I highly recommend getting your physical annual exam. <laughs> if you're like me and oh you're gosh. just like, I will never, ever, ever healthcare or not or health insurance or not, I'm never gonna do it. Um, do it because you'll learn something about yourself and that you never thought... You know, <laughs> your, let's just say all your ignorance about who you are just sort of disappears and... Yeah. to
1: <sighs> This is a really good reminder because I don't think I've had a physical oh, in like three years. Get your years, physical.
0: So. Get your physical. Okay. Um. I don't know if it's TMI. TMI. Should I just share?
1: <laughs> well, you're you're making us all <laughs> curious, you know.
0: So, I think it's genetics. It's like it's like hundred ten percent genetics, and even my doctor said so. But but even like my lifestyle, like I exercise regularly. I you know, I eat healthy enough, maybe once in a while, I'll treat myself to a little pastry. But like, other than that, you know, I, I have a well-balanced diet. And I'm, I learned that I'm pre diabetic. Oh, man. But it, it's in a very low percent, like it's in the low end. But yeah. to learn that, and I'm like, I was just like, Oh, okay. Like, I was like, what more can I do that I'm not already doing? And she was just like, just keep watching what you're doing. And that's what my doctor said, just to keep – be watchful, be mindful, and, I mean,
1: just mm-hmm. be careful.
0: And I was just like, well – And it's
1: good to know. You're totally right. It's, like, it's good to have the information. Yeah,
0: so – It's so crazy. i was just, like, I'm, like <laughs> – So that's your glisten. <laughs> my glisten is – I'm pre diabetic. <laughs> and get your annual uh, physical exam. Oh,
1: that's good man. advice.
0: Okay. What's yours, Sam? Um,
1: my glisten is winter. It's still too early for winter, and yet, nevertheless, winter has arrived in mid-coast Maine. Ooh. We've had so much snow, and it's been very cold in the mornings, and that's my glisten. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I, I'm such a wuss now. Like, if the, if the weather drops to 60, I'm, like, complaining, and I'm just, like, not not gonna have it I'm like locking myself I layer up I'm such a wuss now That's what What happens When you live in California
1: We had a windchill in the single oh, digits Oh jeez so. Oh my
0: god You're making my knees hurt <laughs> <laughs> Oh my <laughs> knees are hurting From the cold
1: <laughs> All right All right Well listeners We want to know About your Non-human character Favorites and ideas so share them with us
0: yeah and and sarah where can they find us oh good question sam we're (laughs) like everywhere you can find us on instagram twitter facebook we're at beckett's babies there's no other uh name that exists other than beckett's babies okay
1: you can't turn around in social media without bumping into us (laughs)
0: oh my gosh
1: yeah true so find us like us follow us share us tell your friends
0: yeah yeah there you go folks that's our show thanks for listening